Good morning, everyone. Try to cover a chapter and a half this morning. We're, I'm going to talk fast. Pam and I are planning to head to North Carolina after class. It's about a 24-hour drive. Uh, we're going to break it up. <laughs> so let's have a let's have a prayer, and we'll begin. Dear Father, we're grateful to you for this day. We know that you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And because of that, we know that you hear every word we say and uh, that you know our thoughts before we even say our words. So we acknowledge our dependence on you and we thank you, Father, for your blessings to us. We're grateful for Jesus, uh, a gift that we can't begin to appreciate, but we thank you for it. And we thank you for this opportunity to, to study and look at your word again. We're grateful for that. Father, for those who are not feeling well today that we know of, we ask your blessings and their different needs, physically, mentally, spiritually. We know a number are traveling, and we pray for safety to them as they travel. Thank you, Father, again for this time, and we pray in Jesus' name, our Savior and the Lord of creation. Amen. Okay, so uh, the plan is is that we will not meet here the next two weeks uh, at this time. Sunday school is giving way to uh, the holidays, and so um, we plan to resume here at 9 o'clock on January the 8th, Lord willing, so January the 8th. I'd like to say a word or two as we were finishing up in Romans chapter 1 and 16 and 17 uh, last week. I'll just reread those. Uh, For I am not ashamed, verse 16, Paul says of the gospel, it's God's power to salvation to everyone that believes, the Jews first, also the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, God cannot cohabitate with sin. He wouldn't be holy, he wouldn't be righteous, he wouldn't be just if he welcomed sin. So he paid for mankind's sins through Jesus. Hebrew writer says he was crucified once for all. Um, we, someone was asking or was talking about what about the Old Testament. Just a couple of words on that. How were people during the Old Testament saved or forgiven? Because they had the law of Moses to keep, and there were certainly a number of uh, many faithful Israelites during the Old Testament times. So what about their sins? And my response to that is, their sins were paid for the same as our sins are paid for, the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, I'll give you a few verses here. Well, why I say that, Revelation 
chapter 13 and verse 8 says that Jesus, he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Slain before all of this started. Uh, going on, First Peter, Peter says the same thing, the Lamb of God foreknown. Of course, the Lamb meaning the sacrifice, the Lamb of God foreknown before the foundation of the world. First Peter chapter 1, 19 and 20. Hebrews 4 and 3, God's works, which would include the cross, God's works were finished before the world was created. His works were finished. He knew what he was going to do. In his mind, it was already done. Everything was set in order and done before he started it. Hard for finite beings like us to understand how all that works, but if you're God, it's not hard to understand how it works. Um, so we just read it and accept it. Uh, Acts 2, verse 23, Peter said, Jesus tells the Jews at Pentecost there that were gathered that Jesus was delivered up according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. God's foreknowledge that Jesus was crucified according to God's plan and foreknowledge. So here's what I'm saying. Uh, we'll use this. This is a timeline and God holds all of time in his hand. And he sees the beginning of time and the end of time at the same time. And he can be anywhere in the timeline he wants to be at any time. So when he made the earth, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain or crucified. Now that's going to happen at this point in time. To us. But not to God. God already sees it as done. It's already done. He can look at faithful lives before the cross, faithful lives after the cross, and count the sacrifice of the cross for all of those people. That's what Peter, John, and Paul, and the Hebrew writer are all saying. Sin was paid for before this started. For those who would come to Jesus and accept the payment that he made. It's still conditional. It's through Jesus. But that's how the sin was paid for. Uh, so, Hebrews 9.15, and we'll leave this. I'll read this one more passage. Hebrews 9.15. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that God's faithful may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from sins committed under the former covenant. The sins of the former covenant were forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 15. God's faithful were forgiven the same way we are forgiven, before or after the cross, by the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, now we're getting into verse 18. The rest of the chapter, we're getting into some really bad news here for a while. This is not, not a happy time in scripture right here. But what Paul is doing, he is showing 
that all of mankind needs redemption, that nobody is good enough for salvation on their own merit. Everybody needs redemption. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he starts in the latter part of chapter 1. He's dealing with the Gentiles. In chapter 2, he'll be dealing with the Jewish uh, world. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We hear a lot of emphasis about God's love and God's grace, and I'm glad, uh, wow, I mean, we, we totally need that. But we need not to forget that God is holy and just, and he will not, will not accept sin. You can't remain holy and include sin in your environment. So the wrath of God, Paul says, is being revealed from heaven against the ungodliness of men. There is a, there is a just side, side to God. Thankfully for us, he saw that, knew that would happen, and he made provision through the cross to pay our debt. Um, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says that sin separates you from God. God's ear isn't dull that he can't hear you. His hand is not short that he can't reach out to you, but it's your sin that has separated you from God. Sin separates one from God. Uh, interesting, uh, he says there how, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So unrighteousness, uh, it has momentum. And the momentum in a culture quiets and suppresses people from saying what they believe and feel and know is true. How many times in your life have you heard conversations or have you stepped back and not taken a stand because you didn't want to be seen or criticized by others that were uh, on a different page? Unrighteousness suppresses the truth. Richard. In some Jewish thought, it's Hashem cannot have anything but goodness. Therefore, anger, wrath, that type of thing is not attributed to him. It's attributed to the angel of destruction. And I would say this about that. Go ahead. From my perspective, there is a righteous anger or a righteous wrath that Hashem can bring on people because of their lack of relationship with Him. Two things. I don't think the Lord God, the Almighty, would, uh, this is my opinion, so I I can't go to Scripture necessarily and say that. I don't think He's turning loose His angels to do what they want to by their own decision. They are messengers sent from him. When we hear the word wrath, we think of human wrath and anger, and it's an emotional thing with us. If you have a lot of wrath and anger, you know, we have a 
visceral gut reaction that and very emotional. I believe with God, the wrath of God is his righteous indignation that says separate this. It's not emotional, but it's an outgrowth of his holiness. Jeff. wasn't an emotional thing in the sense that we have emotions and you just react immediately without reason, but it was a, a, a response. Um, so just a word as we intermingle with the world around us, let's be careful not to let the momentum of the culture, it always does that every week. I don't know what it is. It's a what reboot? It's a reboot, Richard said. I had a I had noted Hebrews ten, twenty six and twenty seven, the wrath and fury that wrath and fury are coming to those who trample underfoot the blood of Jesus. Wrath and fury. There's a righteous response against rebellion of man, the rebellion of man toward God. It will not. God is so lenient and uh, patient with us, but he has a limit that where he says, that's all, that's all. And uh, of course that will come, become complete at when Jesus comes back for the great roundup. Okay, let's go on. Uh, verse uh, 19, that which can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world. Being a, he is understood to be there by the things that he's made. So Paul is saying here that the unrighteousness of man, man has no excuse for this. God has made it known. He's made it known in direct revelation. I mean, he, uh, he had conversations with Adam. Adam lived 900 years plus. So as the human race uh, grew and then Seth comes along and then Noah, God is speaking directly to human beings about his will and what he wants done. And there are centuries of direct communication to humans. And of course that continued right on through Moses, Abraham, Moses, and the prophets. But... um, it's not like the world didn't know something about God's will as they laughed at Noah for building the ark. This righteous man, the scripture says Noah was a herald. That's not herald, but herald. Uh, he was a preacher. He was a speaker for God. And of course they ignored that. But uh, And then the, the next part phrase, he says, you can look at what's been made and know that there's design in it. You can see a pen and you know thought went into it. So that, that argument about the creation, you can look at the machine that we live on here and all the way everything works and know that not by chance, not this balance, this kind of balance way boggles the mind. So he says no excuse. Now 21 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Futile. And then it goes on and says, Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Futile thinking. You get to where nonsense makes sense to you, that's futile thinking. That's darkness. There's there's sort of a progression. It says, they didn't seek God. Where was I there? Um, They did not honor him as God or give thanks. When the human mind, when 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 a person stops honoring God, stops giving thanks to God, what happens is a natural flow away from God. It moves from uh, to unrighteousness and ungodliness. It's a natural flow when you stop, if I stop or if you stop or anyone stops seeking God. Once that leaves our consciousness, then we're going to drift. And so what happens? Compromise, rationalization of what I'm doing. Well, this isn't that bad. It's really okay. Look at all these people. Do. So rationalization sets in. Compromise, rationalization, and it just slides into worldliness and then to darkness. That's the flow. And look at our country. Look at every country. That's the flow. Sir. In a book I've just finished, you know, the author is saying, particularly in Western world where we have great amount of freedoms, we have a great amount of freedom to choose for ourselves. And with that choice, we want to have the right to choose whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Not, and rather than saying, okay, I choose to, to follow uh, yeah. Hashem and be under his control. We want to be under yeah. our control. Yeah, that's the whole deal. And that's how it started with Adam and Eve choosing, making their own decisions. Uh, Richard said, we have so much freedom and we, we like that and we have the ability to choose with this freedom and sadly we choose self. Instead of being God-centered, we become self-centered. Eric? I'm I'll share that uh, I've been blessed for the first to be on this better. With a lie that lends itself to that and silence. When I was younger, Sunday school teachers and those adults that were around me in church made me feel like I had to check my intellect in order to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because it's faith. You can't prove God exists. But this scripture suggests somewhat different than it is clear that matter without excuse that all of creation claims the existence of God. And that's how I score the corner of my psyche that and my Christianity, mm. I find God in science, and, and this is himself. I think we've got to be careful when we talk about faith. Yes, it takes faith to be believed, but that doesn't mean you have to check the intellect of the pool. Right. Harrison, who uh, was younger than uh, Stephen Hawkins died, uh, he asked me, so I wonder what that conversation looks like. He was about 12. Now, I wonder what that conversation looked like. Because his math was perfect. But his heart was not. Yeah. So it's, 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 you look at all the things around us and you say, it's got to be a designer. Or you look at all 
Right. I'm going to assume everybody heard that. Jeff? Jeff heard it. Okay. We, we heard it. We heard it. And, and I believe you're correct there, Eric. Um, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You know, so you hear today a lot, that, you know, we don't need that. That old, I mean, that Bible stuff, that old mythology, those old stories. I mean, come on, it's, it's the year 2000, you know, so, so the Bible is, uh, everything connected to Christian faith is sort of, uh, scoffed at. God says this, that's foolishness for you. So he says it leads to something. Let's go, we're going to finish chapter one right here in about two, three minutes. He said, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and other things. So God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. So the first thing that happens here that he lists when people quit having God in their knowledge and quit seeking him, they went into idolatry, which is a strange thing. And the scripture talks about this. The prophets talked about it. Isaiah talks about it. You carve out a thing out of wood and then you worship it. It can't see, it can't feel, it can't talk. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, anyway, idolatry is first on the list. And then he says... So God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 26, let's see. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. Um, liberal theologians will say about this passage that the real sin in this passage was idolatry and that the homosexuality that was occurring was associated with idolatry. And so the homosexuality was wrong, but it was really the idolatry that was the main thing that was wrong. Uh, as I read the verse, I just, I'm just reading to you. You can read it for yourselves. Whether it's connected to idolatry or not, Scripture doesn't say that. There, idol, uh, homosexuality was often practiced in, uh, in some of the temples. The Caesars were famous for their homosexuality. Um, it's a, the same folks that say it was really the idolatry and the homosexuality was just a sidebar. And they will say um, it's not talking about real homosexual love, monogamous love, where people are in a relationship, men with men, women with women in a love relationship. This was about idol worship. Well, that's kind of making a, a bit of a jump to have that deduction.
I'll just say this. In the entirety of Scripture, in the entirety of Scripture, there is not one homosexual relationship in love that is described or condoned or blessed. Not in the Bible. Not one. And in the entirety of Scripture, every time homosexual acts are mentioned, every time they are condemned as sinful, perverted, unnatural, or worthy of death. Every time. So, and that's from Genesis all the way, as they say, all the way to the maps. Never blessed, not one example, always condemned. We can make excuses however we want to make them, but I'll I'll tell you, no amount of human rationalization will change what God has said. He said it in Genesis, Mark repeats it in Mark chapter 10, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's what God has set up. That's what God has blessed. Now, We probably all know people who are involved in that situation among family or friends or whatever. What do we do? Uh, Two things. We always love people. We want to be sure they know that we love them, that we... See, see them and value them as a creation of God and that we love and care about them. But we should not. If we're going to take the position of the scripture, we can't condone a sinful lifestyle. He goes on there and he says, uh, verse 28, since they did not See fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. There's quite a list there. Not just one sin. There's a bunch of a bunch of bad behavior that is listed. God made us male and female. We love everyone. We don't condone sinful practices. Look at verse 32. For though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Approval to those who practice them. So, let's say I have a friend, a homosexual friend. We've had conversations. He knows how I feel. 
and I did say friend, I will not be going to a, a gay pride march. I will not be going to a gay pride march. I will not give approval to those who practice these things. I would say our, our relationship, our friendship, our understanding needs to be, I love you, I care about you. This is not, this is not a God-blessed relationship or activity you're doing. Whether it be gossiping, homosexuality, or whatever it is, there's a whole list here. But I will not support you in, in this. They give approval to those who practice them. You don't want to do that. That's, that's a step across the line. Don't want to do that. Comments, questions? So with a recent signing into law, the Respect for Marriage Act, two guys come to Peggy and say they want him to marry them. And he says, no, because I don't approve of doing that. And slap a huge lawsuit on this. Yeah, well... Uh, preachers will be asked to conduct marriage relationships, um, marriages, I mean. Yeah, that's coming. All that's coming. Uh, for most of history, God's people have been persecuted. We, we've lived in a time of relatively little persecution. Now, we're starting to see it ramp up. But most of history, it hasn't been the case. And there's going to be persecution come with this if we take a stand. Maybe the courts will respect religious freedom and my right, my right to my faith. Uh, we'll see. I know what God says about this. So, Eric. history and uh, it's it's here we're seeing it and uh, it's going to get worse I predict all right chapter two he is going to switch from the heathen to the moral man and the, the Jew and say so you guys are condemned too you need forgiveness too uh, nobody no human being deserves to be where I am uh, we're fallen. All of us are fallen. 
So he starts out, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judge for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you do the very same things. And so the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Uh, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, but you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? No. He says that's wrong too. Uh, the Jews of the day had a feeling that they were better than everyone else. They were God's chosen people, which they were. And so that gave them some rights and uh, some passes uh, that they weren't as accountable as the heathens. And Paul is saying, no, no, doesn't work. Verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, he drops down in verse 12 and says, I mean, make sure I'm, uh, okay. For all have sinned outside the law will perish outside the law. That's the heathens, the Gentiles. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So, those who don't have the law, they're going to perish without the law. He's going to develop this thought a little bit further. Those who have the law are going to be judged by it. And the problem is they didn't keep it. Uh, verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers. I've referred to Galatians a couple of times. I want to go back to Galatians chapter 3 real quickly. Galatians 3 and 10. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the law. And nobody did. And we call it a law of works because he says you've got to do everything. Verse 11, Galatians 3, verse 11. No one is justified before God by the law. No one. Verse 12, Galatians 3. The law is not of faith, not of the faith system. It was a law of works. Now, faithful people tried to keep the law, but it wasn't based on faith. It was based on doing what it said. And they couldn't do it. Verse 17, you call yourself a Jew and you boast in God. Verse 21, you teach others, but you don't teach yourselves. Verse 23, you boast in the law and dishonor God by breaking the law. Verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed by the Gentiles because of the way you live. So he says the Jews, they're guilty. They need forgiveness, redemption as well. Took too much pride. Now he's going to get into a little thing here in verse 25. Well, let's just read it. Circumcision is indeed a value 
if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. In other words, just because you've been circumcised as a Jew doesn't get you any bonus points if you're a lawbreaker. You're just like the Gentiles, a lawbreaker. Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet tells Israel, you need to circumcise your hearts. You need to circumcise your hearts. It's a spiritual thing that God is after. Jesus says in Matthew 23, when he's pronouncing the seven woes on the Pharisees, he says, outwardly you look like whitewashed tombs. You look clean and spiffy, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all sorts of uncleanness. It's not the outside that really counts. It's not the circumcision that counts. It's what's in the heart and the circumcision of the heart that counts. Circumcision of the heart. It's a commitment, a heart commitment to God. 228 and 29 at the end of the chapter. No one is a Jew who merely is one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the law or the letter of the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. I want to go uh, back to Galatians chapter 3 as we close here, last minute right here. Galatians 3, 28, 29. We, we re- referenced this last week when we were talking about faith. For in Christ, well, I'll start in 26. We'll just catch the whole thing. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's your faith, obeying God. Faith is not separate from obedience. Obedience is never merit. Obedience is never a work. Obedience is always expected. And in Hebrews 11, obedience is called faith, 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 faith. From Abel, Abraham, Noah, right on down the line. Their obedience was called faith. Now moving on, and I'm closing right here. Um... Neither, verse 28, neither is there Jew or Greek. Now this is, this is a breaking news here for many, many of the Jews. They had great pride in their heritage. The law came through them. The prophets were of, of them. The Savior came through them. They had great pride. Verse 28, neither is there Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, neither is there male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. He says you're one in Christ Jesus, no Jews or Greeks, no male or female, all equal value. And if you're in Christ, he says, you're Abraham's seed, offspring. And heirs according to the promise. So children of faith, no Jew or Greek, Abraham's offspring and heirs if we're in Christ.
Wow. That's a wow. That means you're brought into the people of Israel. You become part of Israel. Israel being God's chosen people. It's a matter of heart, not flesh. Heart. God's Israel, Abraham's offspring, are the faithful of God who are in Christ. That's the condition. The only condition. In Christ. Adios. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. And nothing about Festivus. Not doing that. All right. Good day. See you later, Lord willing. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.